Did God fire the prophet Elijah? Today we're going to talk about some controversial topics regarding Bishop Barron, but in particular, two items, the death penalty and Catholicism and ecumenism, ecumenical dialogue and Catholicism. And if you're on social media, you know what the springboard is, and that is Bishop Barron's recent video in which he asserts that God fired the prophet Elijah and set up a successor, who's Elisha, because Elijah had extreme violence. And if you know, Elijah killed a lot of false prophets of the false god, Baal. And we're going to examine what the Bible actually says about Elijah. We're going to look at Bishop Barron's video. We're going to run that clip. And then we're going to ask ourselves, is Bishop Barron right, who's interpreting Elijah through the lens of a post-Vatican II perspective, which is anti-death penalty and pro-ecumenism, and then we're going to actually look at the text and say, is that correct? Or is perhaps there a more traditional reading of the sacred scripture? And is Elijah a good guy or a bad guy? Was he too violent or was he right on point? Now, before we look at the Bishop Barron clip, we're going to pray. But I just want to introduce Elijah the prophet. In the Old Testament, probably, no, not probably, definitely the most important person theologically is Moses, the lawgiver. And then second to him is Elias or Elijah the prophet. And one way we know this is when our Lord Jesus Christ was transfigured on Mount Tabor, Peter, James, and John were there, two Old Testament saints appeared with Christ in the transfiguration. Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah, the greatest of the prophets. We also know that Elijah the prophet, Elias, was assumed bodily from this earth. Now, he was not taken to the beatific vision, the highest form of heaven. I've written about that at taylormarshall.com and other places because we know that before Christ died on the cross, none of the Old Testament faithful were admitted into the beatific vision of heaven. You'd be surprised what Thomas Aquinas teaches on this, and maybe I'll do another video on that on their time. But he was assumed into heaven. He's in second place after Moses. And so what Bishop Barron says about God being displeased with Elijah or removing Elijah or bringing in a successor because of violence or firing Elijah, I just... I don't want to judge Bishop Barron, but I just can't see how that is the biblical, traditional, Catholic read of the story of Elijah the prophet. I mean, God literally took Elijah in first class in a chariot of fire from this earth. Doesn't seem like God was upset or disappointed with Elijah. Okay, so let's run the Bishop Barron clip, and then I'm going to actually read the text from the Bible, and then we'll discuss death penalty and ecumenical dialogue. Y'all ready? Let's do it. I have it queued up. 
And here is Bishop Barron. Roll it. Powers doing the, the best thing that prophets ever done in Israel. But in the immediate wake of that, the tiny whispering voice says, it's time for your successor. Elijah, you're fired. Why is he being fired? Could it have something to do with that extraordinary violence he showed after the beautiful prophetic manifestation on Mount Carmel? All right, so there it is. Uh, God made a beautiful manifestation on Mount Carmel. And then Bishop Barron is suggesting that Elijah ruined it by violence. Okay, so what does the Bible say? What is the true story? Maybe you've never heard the story of Elijah the prophet. And you can read about it in 1 Kings 18. Now, if you're using the Dewey Rames Bible, which is what I suggest, that would be 3 Kings. And the reason for this is in the Septuagint and in the Latin Vulgate, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, and 2 Kings is named, those four books, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 3 Kings, 4 Kings. So sometimes you might look up something in 1 or 2 Kings and it's not there. That's because it's actually the Septuagint or Dewey Rames numbering and it's actually in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. So we're in 1 Kings, but in the Dewey Rames and in the Septuagint uh, and in the Latin Vulgate, it's going to be 3 Kings. Chapter 18, I'll be reading. And remember, the word Elias is simply the Greek and Latin version for Elijah with a J. Same name. It means God is Yah. God is Yahweh. That's his name. Brilliant, isn't it? Okay. And Elias, should I share this with you? I think I should. Let me see if I can share it. That way you can read along with me. Don't want that there. Yeah, that worked great. That worked great. We're going to begin here at verse 18, right in here, okay? And when he had seen him, he said, Art thou that he... Art thou he that troublest Israel? And he said, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house who have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. Where did I go here? I lost my spot here. Oh no, so I, I am not Israel, but thou and thy father's house who have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed Balaam. What is Balaam? The I-M ending is a plural ending in Hebrew. So Balaam is plural, the Baals. These are the false Canaanite gods. Verse 19, Nevertheless, send thou and gather me, gather unto me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the grove, 400, who eat at Jezebel's table. Acap sent to all the children of Israel and gathered together the prophets unto Mount Carmel. And Elias, coming to all the people, said, How long do you halt between two sides? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Now, let me pause here. The people were sort of hedging their bets. Like, we're going to worship Yahweh of Israel. We're also going to worship Baal, the Canaanites. You know, you can't have too many gods. Let's be ecumenical. You know, we can participate in your services. Y'all can participate in our services. Maybe it was the whole idea, well, Baal's just another name for Yahweh, and Yahweh's just another name for Baal. Somehow these people 
had entered into this compromise. And Elijah the prophet comes and says, no, today you choose. You're going to either choose the Lord of Israel or you're going to choose the Baals. And notice what the people did. The people, it says, did not answer him a word. They're either ashamed or they're just thinking, let's see what happens here. Either way, we have an ecumenical movement going on here at Mount Carmel, and Elijah the prophet is not going to go with it. In verse 22, And Elias said to the people, I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but the prophets of Baal are 450 men. Verse 23, Let two bullocks be given us, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it upon the wood, and put no fire under, and I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under it. So this is a challenge. What he's doing is he's saying, set up two sacrifices. One altar for Baal, the false god. One altar for Yahweh, the true God of Israel. And put each bowl on each one and do not put fire on yet. Because Elias the prophet has a plan. By the way, if you're enjoying this video, please give the thumbs up. Like it, share it on Twitter and Facebook. And if you're new, make sure you subscribe. All right, verse 24. Call ye on the names of your gods, and I will call on the name of my Lord, and the God that shall answer by fire, let him be God. And the people answering said, a very good proposal. So the people are spectators here. They don't seem to be fully uh, on one side or the other. They're kind of still hedging their bets, and they're saying, let's see what Elias the prophet can do. Verse 25, then Elias said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bullock and dress it first because you are many and you call on the name of your gods and put, uh, and put no fire under. Verse 26, and they took the bullock which he gave them and dressed it and they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon saying, oh Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any that answered and they leaped over the altar that they had made. Verse 27, And when it was now noon, Elias jested at them, saying, Cry with a louder voice, for he is a god, and perhaps he is talking, or he is in an inn, or on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be wakened. So Elias starts mocking their god. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe sleeping in a hotel, an inn. Verse 28, so they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves after the manner with knives and lancets till they were all covered in blood. So the idea here for pagans, they, they practiced cutting. And the idea was if we cut ourselves and bleed out before our God, that will get his attention. Imagine a child trying to throw a tantrum in order to get what they want. That's essentially how these priests and prophets of Baal acted in the presence of their God. Shameful. And of course, Elias is mocking them. And they were all covered with blood. Verse 29, And after midday was passed, and while they were prophesying, the time was come of offering sacrifice, and there was no voice heard, nor did anyone answer nor regard them as they prayed. Verse 30, Elias said to all the people, Come ye unto me, and the people coming near unto him, he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down, and he took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. 
And he built with the stones an altar to the name of the Lord. And he made a trench for water and the breadth of two furrows around the altar. And he laid the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid it upon the wood. And he said, fill four buckets with water and pour it upon the burnt offering and upon the wood. And again, he said, do the same a second time. And when they had done it a second time, he said, do it also a third time. And so they did it a third time and the water run around the altar and the trench was filled with water. Let me pause here. This is a type. This is typology, a foreshadowing, a prophecy of Catholic baptism where water is poured three times on the sacrificial victim. That is the new Christian, the, the freshly baptized or an infant who's being baptized. We pour thrice on the person. And then what happens? The Holy Ghost comes down on the person, the baby. They're sealed with chrism, which is the sign of the Holy Spirit on their, uh, on their crown in the Holy Sacrifice of Baptism. And what do we see next? We see fire come down, the power of the Holy Ghost. Verse 36, And when it was now time to offer the Holocaust, Elias the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Show this day that thou art the God of Israel, and I thy servant, and that according to thy commandment I have done all these things. Against what Bishop Barron said, he is asking for a sign of approval. Now, I guess Bishop Barron would say, well, there's this marvelous sign of affirmation, and then Elias ruined it by murdering everyone. Uh, let's continue reading and see if that's the case. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the holocaust and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw this, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elias said to them, Take the prophets of Baal and let not one of them escape. And when they had taken them, Elias brought them down to the torrent of Kisan and killed them there. So Elias told the Israelites, capture these false prophets, 450, took them down there and killed 450 false prophets. And Elias said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elias went up to the top of Carmel and casting himself down upon the earth, put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up and look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said to him, return seven times. And at the seventh time, behold, a little cloud arose out of the sea like a man's foot. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare thy chariot and go down, lest the rain prevent thee. And when he turned himself this way and that, behold, the heavens grew dark with clouds and wind, and there fell a great rain. Now, I'll pause here. There had been... No rain for three and a half years. God had shut up the heaven because the people were worshiping false gods. Now that Elias has worked this miracle and killed the 450 false prophets, God approves by sending the little cloud from the sea, which the Carmelite order sees as Our Lady. You can actually go to Mount Carmel. I've been there. There's a little chapel and a little place where you can go where they saw the cloud come out of the sea as the, the, um, the sign of the coming rains. 
And Achab, getting up, went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was upon Elias, and he girded up his loins and ran before Achab till he came to Jezreel. Now, again, if God is not happy with the violence of Elijah or Elias, why is, it, why is he given this miracle, second miracle of the rain and then say his hand is upon him? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Third Kings is the reading for those of you just joining us. All right, before we get into the death penalty and false ecumenism based on this and Bishop Barron's words, we're going to go and pray the Our Father. So please pray with me. Oremos nomini Patris et Fidi, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater noster, qui es in celi, sanctificetur nomen tuum, venia regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum de nobis odiae, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, se libera nos amalo. Amen. Nomini Patris et Fidi, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. St. Elias, pray for us. All right, so I'm going to run the Bishop Barron clip because it's short, and there's a lot more people who have just joined us. We uh, we have 600-something uh, people live with us right now, and I just want to encourage everyone, get the likes up. At least half of you got to hit that like button, give the thumbs up, share this video. You are my algorithm. And if you're not subscribed, go ahead and subscribe. In the bottom right corner, hit that button and click the bell, and you'll be notified every time we go live like we are today. All right, so here is the clip again, and then we'll do some commentary on what we have just read. Here is Bishop Aaron. Powers doing the, the best thing that prophets ever done in Israel. But in the immediate wake of that, the tiny whispering voice says, it's time for your successor. Elijah, you're fired. Why is he being fired? Could it have something to do with that extraordinary violence he showed after the beautiful prophetic manifestation on Mount Carmel. No, no. And here's the problem. All right, so I opened up today saying we're going to be talking about death penalty and ecumenism. If you take the perspective since the 1960s and you, and you, you believe that Pope Francis can change morality, change dogma, change doctrine. Uh, you now have to hold, currently, that the death penalty is morally inadmissible. It's not admissible. This is the teaching of Francis Bergoglio. Whereas we have about a dozen popes in history who teach that the death penalty can be used in a morally upright way. It actually goes back to God's covenant with Noah in which God says that if a man purposely murders another man, his blood is required of him. He institutes the death penalty. God institutes a death penalty uh, immediately after the flood with Noah. But if you have to live in a world or you have to live in a Catholic theology where the death penalty is inadmissible, how do you read the passage we just read from 3 Kings where Elias his prophetic mission is validated by fire falling from heaven onto a sacrifice. And then he, he rounds up and he himself personally kills 450 prophets, false prophets of Baal. 
imagine how long, physically difficult it would be to kill 450 people. Let's just think about that for a moment. It's a lot of bodies. It's a lot of killing. It's a lot of blood. And we have to ask ourselves, is the one true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, did he approve of those 450 killings or not? I think if you take the Pope Francis Bergoglio point of view, you have to say God did not approve of the 450 killings of the false prophets. And that's definitely the read that Bishop Barron is suggesting to us. The problem with that is it just doesn't fit the words of Scripture. Or then God gives Elias a second miracle, and then Scripture specifically said God's hand is upon Elias, and then later God takes Elias up in a chariot of fire and allows Elias to share his spirit, a double spirit of prophetic ministry on his successor, Eliseus or Elisha. You see, when you read scripture, God is pleased with what Elijah Elijah the prophet is doing. Now, you may say to yourself, living in the third millennium, well, man, killing 450 false prophets, it seems like a lot of blood, seems violent, seems unnecessary. I don't know if this is humane. But you have to remember, in the Old Testament, false prophets always received the death penalty. Let me repeat this. God commanded Moses to institute in the Old Testament, Israel, false prophets were to receive the death penalty. This is not an idea that Elias thought up by himself and said, what should I do with all these false prophets? I mean, we could put them in prison. We could put them in a remedial course. We could kill them. Yeah, I think we'll kill them. No, Elias the prophet was obeying the words of Scripture. Elias the prophet was obeying Moses by putting to death the false prophets. It doesn't matter if there's one false prophet 450 false prophets or 4,500 false prophets. It is the will of God as taught by Moses in the Old Testament economy. False prophets receive the death penalty. Why is it such a big deal? We may think, well, I mean, golly, I mean, they're, they're not like murdering and raping people. In a way, they're murdering and raping souls. They're teaching the people of Israel to abandon the true God, to abandon the Ten Commandments, to abandon the true morality and ethics that God has taught, and to chase after demons. The gods of the nations, the gods of the Gentiles are demons, says Psalm 95. You see, Thomas Aquinas says killing the soul by sending it to hell is worse than killing the body. And you have to ask yourself today, do you believe that personally? Would it? What's worse? Someone who leads you into mortal sin so that you lose your soul and go to hell for eternity or someone who kills your body? Which is worse? Clearly the former. Clearly those who lead us into mortal sin. And the false prophets were doing exactly that. And Elias justly 
and righteously killed 450 prophets. And God gave him another miracle and God put his hand upon him immediately after he did that. And now we have to ask ourselves, is Francis right? Is the death penalty morally inadmissible? Because if Francis is right, we've got to totally go back and reread and refashion 3 Kings chapter 18 as Bishop Barron has just done. I am not going to go and revise and remix and reshape 3 Kings and the story of Elias the prophet to fit the modern woke agenda or to fit the novel interpretation of Francis Bergoglio. We must follow sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium. And if a pope departs from the magisterium, that's on him. See, scripture, tradition, and the magisterium, they don't change. They don't reverse themselves. Now, let's talk about ecumenism. Ever since the 1960s, because of Dignitatis Humanae and Eterni, uh, no, uh, Nostratate, two documents in Vatican II, there's been this idea that we as Catholics should go and worship with non-Catholics in their liturgies, in their rites. So before, even if you went into a non-Catholic church, synagogue, mosque, that was a sin just to go inside. Did you know that? to go to their services and to pray with them, mortal sin. Catholics were only allowed to worship in Catholic liturgies that were approved by the Catholic Church and by the Pope. You couldn't go to a Lutheran service and participate because you don't have the same faith as a Lutheran. You couldn't go into a mosque and pray because you don't have the same faith as the Mohammedan. You can't go into a synagogue and pray with them. You don't have the same faith as your Jewish friend. But since the 1960s, you know, we've got to get together with all these world religions. We saw this in 1986 with the uh, Prayer for Peace rally that John Paul II hosted. You got the Dalai Lama worshiping a, a Buddha on a tabernacle and an altar in Assisi. All these world religions, you got the Native Americans smoking peace pipes, all doing this in a Catholic church, in a Catholic complex together. And so again, you take that worldview, that theology, and you go back into 3 Kings and Elijah, the, and Elijah the prophet, it doesn't fit. If you took Vatican II practice into the story of Elijah, Elijah the prophet should have been, hey, all you false prophets, you think Baal is God, and I think Yahweh is a God, so why don't we have a conference? Uh, you guys get to speak, send your scholars, I'll have me, I'll give a talk, we'll do a dialogue, we'll let people listen, you know, maybe y'all will do a Baal liturgy, and I'll participate in somehow, or y'all can put, you know, you can sacrifice an animal and put some of that blood on me in the name of Baal, and then I can do mine, and I'll do some of my sacrifice for you. We can all be in ecumenical dialogue. No, <laughs> that is not the God of the Bible. God says, I am a jealous God. Does that offend you? God shares his glory, his worship, and his honor with no other God because the gods of the Gentiles are demons. 
God does not want his children worshiping demons or participating in false worship, false theology, false liturgy. God loves us. He wants us to worship, as Jesus says, in spirit and in truth. You must be worshiping in the Holy Spirit and you must be worshiping in truth. And if you aren't doing that, that's not what God wants for you. This whole idea that we Catholics need to go to Lutheran prayer services and uh, have Methodist ministers come in and bless us and preach to us and talk to us, or that uh, Francis is going to stand on a, on a stage with Protestants and, and everyone's going to bless together. No, that's not it. So I think Bishop Barron is in a bind here, right? He, he has... He, has to submit himself to, okay, death penalty is bad and ecumenical dialogue is good. And then you read the story in 3 Kings chapter 18 of Elias the prophet and death penalty is good here and ecumenical dialogue is bad. And it's like, what do we do? It doesn't work. So Bishop Barron said, well, God was firing Elias the prophet. That's why God brought in a successor to Elias the prophet. But if you read 3 Kings that's not it. And if he was firing Elias the prophet, why is it that when our Lord Jesus Christ transfigured, there's Moses on one side and Elias on the other. And when Christ is on the cross and he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, the people say he's calling for Elias. He's calling for Elias. Now they were wrong, but they thought Christ was invoking. By the way, people who say you shouldn't invoke saints, all the Jews at the foot of the cross thought Jesus was invoking a saint, Elias the prophet. It's an interesting apologetics angle next time you're in a, a dialogue with Protestants. So I think with Bishop Barron, he's trying to take a square peg, which is the ecumenical anti-death penalty version of Catholicism and place it into the biblical round hole. And it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. And that's why I'm a traditional Catholic. And that's why I encourage you to be a traditional Catholic. You see, I don't interpret... The Old Testament, the New Testament, the Church Fathers, the Medieval Era, the Counter-Reformation. I don't interpret all that in light of now and Pope Francis and the Church of what's going on now. I interpret our present moment in light of everything that came before. You see, a traditionalist, which is what I am and what I hope you to be, interprets the present moment in light of tradition of what came before. The modernist interprets everything that came before in light of now. So they'll say, I don't know. Like, how are we going to interpret Adam and Eve? Well, let's interpret that in, in, in what's going on now, our modern period. Okay, it was kind of this like evolutionary monkey thing, you know, or Jesus, you know, turned, uh, he, he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. Well, nowadays we don't really believe in that kind of stuff. So I'm just going to go and interpret that as everybody shared their lunch. No. Tradition judges us. We don't judge tradition. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? All right. Well, thanks for watching. Make sure you're praying your rosary every single day so that you're meditating on scripture. The rosary is Bible on beads. Make sure you pray your rosary every blessed day and you will grow closer to our Lord through our lady. Do it. Uh, what else? Read your Bible every day. 
I'm reading my Bible every day. You can listen to it on audio. If you are a Patreon supporter of mine, um, I put files up there that you use in an app that you can listen to the Dewey Rames Bible. You know, I've got uh, Gospels on there. I've got Paul's epistles. Um, I've got Genesis, I believe, on there. Exodus, uh, the Psalms. All of that I've placed over there to say thank you to the Patreon patrons. So if you want to support my channel, support my work, and support my writings, go to patreon.com forward slash drtaylormarshall. Also send you signed books. And just... Yesterday, I released the cover of my new book, Antichrist and Apocalypse. It's a commentary in the book of Revelation and the end times from a Catholic point of view. And I will be releasing some free chapters and some audiobook version chapters uh, to Patreon patrons. So if you already are a Patreon patron, look for those in the coming week or so. And if you want to get in on that, go to patreon.com forward slash drtaylormarshall. One of the very many benefits of being a patron. All right. Well, thanks for watching, everyone. Uh, God bless you. We should pray the uh, Hail Mary here at the end before we sign off. So, oremos nomini patris et fidi et spiritus sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in moleribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or nobis peccatoribus, nunc editor mortis nostre. Amen. St. Elias, pray for us. Nomini patris et fidi et spiritus sancti. Amen. Thanks for watching. Remember our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty, which, by the way, was today's gospel in the traditional Latin Mass. God bless and Godspeed.